lovely to see you all this morning. It's really, really, really good to be together. And uh, what an absolute privilege as we worshiped. I realized that uh, the government may try to restrict us, but they can't restrict our praise. Come on. And I uh, love hearing people sing. And as we gather and we just, uh, as a church, just keep reminding ourselves that our ultimate authority is not what Cyril says or what uh, politics say or what coronavirus says, but what the Word of God says. And that's what I love about this community, that we get to, again, come and give ourselves to the Word of God. This morning, um, the title of my message, whoa, boom, it's all happening here, is, uh, is I really believe it's a, a prophetic title, and it's a, this message, it's a three-worder, or potentially four words if you, if you are an English major, it's going down. It's going down. I don't know if you know it, but uh, by looking at me, you wouldn't, I know some of you will be taken by surprise, but I haven't been in any physical fights in my life. And when I say many, I mean none. Um, been in a few, uh, you know, some argy-bargy, a little bit of, you know, pushing and shoving, but no, a punch has never been thrown in my direction. I've never thrown on myself. As I say again and again, these hands are lovers' hands, not fighters. I was not made or designed for the, for the ring, but... Um, but I want to say that uh, I've watched a heck of a lot of movies, <laughs> and I've seen a lot of fights go down on the, on the big screen. But also, I, I don't know if you know these moments in movies or in real life, uh, and if you have been in real life is more your lens, welcome to church. You're great. We're grateful you're here. Um, but it's the sort of idea, you know, when there's a lot of, bit of testosterone in, in the air, and there's some prides have been, uh, been dented, and people, he said what, and she said what, who, who, what, that, a lot of noise. And, and, and the whole circle gathers around, and people say, it's going down. It's going down. You know, lunchtime is going down. I'll see you in the parking lot. That type, of, that type of atmosphere. And I've got that picture in my head because, actually, I really believe that though I wake coming, come in today weighing at a 65 kgs, hmm, come on, and, uh, and maybe I'm not in a prime fighting fit uh, capability, I really do believe that today, that as I wield the Word of God here, that I am a lot more heavier than what the the scale might suggest. And I'm here to throw a few punches today, if that's all right. Not physically, but I am here in a fighting mood, not with aggression towards anybody here or any individual, but I really believe that we are fighting not against people or flesh and blood, but we are fighting today. What we're doing is we're fighting against powers and principalities, and we're going to take some of them down. We're not just in, a, in the match. I think too often the church have got this uh, anemic type of uh, response where people look at us with eyes of, of wow, shame, the church. When actually another restriction and the church just bow and scrape, yeah, we'll just go along with the flow. And we feel like we're in the ring. And maybe you feel like this personally or at a corporate level, we're in the ring with an enemy who is shoving us and going, hey, 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 what are you going to do about it? And we're just backing away, backing away. I want to tell you today, our response is a little different. I want to shift us onto the front foot. And I want to tell you, it's going down. It's going down. So why don't you turn to your neighbor, whether you've got faith for it or not, I'm going to make you say it. Tell them with steel in your eyes, it's going down. Come on. I've got such faith for this morning, what God is going to do here in this room, in our lives, because we are preaching a series called Ruthless out of the book of Ruth. And the reason why we, we titled that, this book Ruthless is because I really believe that there needs to come a, a ruthless dimension to the local church. A ruthless dimension where the church have been sidelined, pushed around, silenced. Actually, it's time for the church to step back in the ring and retake its, its rightful place. Its rightful place. And maybe that's for you as an individual as well as a husband, as a, as a wife, as a, as a son and daughter of God. Maybe you've been pushed around, you've been blinded, you've been deafened, you've been doped, as one writer once said, by, by the enemy and just been pushed in the corner. I tell it's time to come out fighting. 
This is a season to come out fighting. It's going down. And that's why we preach in the series Ruthless, because we have a God who has ruthless love. A God who has got a ruthless pursuit. A God who is ruthless and his passion and his redemption for you and I. And he's calling the church to be ruthless with sin, to be ruthless in obedience, and ruthless with the way we deal with the enemy. No longer tolerating, just, just moving about around the circle. No, I say it again, it's going down nothing, nothing. I say this, no matter what restrictions are placed on the church, 100, 200, 250,000, let me tell you, life changes, Milnerton. I tell you today, nothing will stop what God has called us to do. Nothing. There is a ruthless determination in my heart, and it's not out of emotion. It's not a political response. It's a response to what the Word of God says. So I'm coming up fighting. I'm wielding the sword, and I'm fighting on your behalf and my behalf for my family. And as Paul and Laura stood up here today, I'm reminded that we're fighting for the next generation as well. That's what we're here to do today. I'm excited. It's lovely to see you all at church today. So I'm really, really excited. I want to pray, and then we're going to get stuck in. Father, I pray for every single heart here today. Every broken heart, would you, would you make whole? Every defeated heart, would you bring into victory today? I pray every heart that has got hardened, I pray would you soften it now? God, I thank you that your word falls on fertile soil, on good soil today, and produces a harvest that it was sent out to do from your mouth, from your heart, not from my hands, not from my, the pen of my fingers. God, I, in my fingers, I pray it was issued from your mouth, and would it penetrate every single soul here today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Let me give you briefly the, the Ruth storyline. The book of Ruth is a four-chapter narrative in the Old Testament. It starts off in chaos, in anarchy, in famine, in depression, in brokenness, in financial uh, chaos, in sexual depravity, in death, Moab. In a land called Moab, far away from the promises of God, and a family have moved there and encountered everything of the enemy's tactics. They've been pushed around, they've been beaten up, they've been silenced, they've been shoved in the corner, and that the enemy has had his, their way with this family. Until a mom decides enough's enough. A mom called Naomi and her daughter-in-law named Ruth say, actually, we're going to head back and we're going to go back to Bethlehem. And let me say as I read that, I want to tell you, moms and daughter-in-laws right now, I tell you, woman, are you, this is your time. Don't wait for another person to make the decision for you. Sometimes it's up to you to say enough's enough. A line in the sand, I'm going to move forward. If whether you're with me or not, I'm going to go back to what God has got for you. And this family head back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they move back there. And on this journey, they realize, as we see it again and again, they've left Moab. But as they back in Bethlehem, they realize that maybe Moab hadn't fully left them. And they had to deal with bitterness and unforgiveness of the last years and the last seasons. And those years that were lost and, and abused and broken. And they had to deal with it and say, that is not going to dictate us. We're not going to move into our future dragging Moab with us. We're leaving it behind. And they deal with that. And they move into what is chapter 2 of this book. Where, where Ruth then goes and it's faithful, says actually she's a migrant worker who is probably undocumented at best, somebody who's, who's, somebody who's a foreigner to this land, finds herself in a foreigner's field, but says, I'm going to go work, I'm going to take a lower paying job, a job that almost pays nothing at all, I'm going to go the lowest, lowest of lowest, and I'm going to go glean in another man's field, and I'm going to trust God that he'll have a future for me. And in faithfulness, she encounters the favor of God as Boaz's eyes find her. And, and this is where the story gets really good. If we keep reading, we find in chapter 3 and 4, the love story element of this, this, this incredible story kicks into gear as Ruth goes and there's this, this holy flirting that takes place. Come on, there's something, there's such as that. Holy flirting. That's what Fiona experienced when I first started dating her. Just, she said, wow, the, you're not good looking, but the anointing is strong. She's joking. That's not, she didn't say that. She didn't. 
But, but I want to tell you, Ruth, she did, and God is in this thing, and Boaz then says, actually, I will redeem you, and Boaz stands in the stead, and actually he goes, and he fights on her behalf, and he pursues Ruth, and, and he uh, redeems the land, and redeems Ruth, and gives her a future, and actually, uh, PG, PG alerts, she, he impregnates her, and she falls pregnant with a baby that will become the line of David, and ultimately the line of Jesus. This incredible four-chapter book is just teeming with, with life and reality. This is not some boring uh, old manuscript. This is real life, flesh and blood, days of our lives, whatever show you like to watch, right happening in front of us, and it's from the Bible to us today. But I want to tell you today, it's not just a cute love story. This book is pulsating with the power of the gospel glory. And I want to show you it today. I want to, I want to pound it deep into our hearts because the whole thing, I want to tell you today, in the middle of this chaos to, to glory, in the story of full of brokenness and death and, and, and fear and anxiety and, and battles fighting for futures and mother-in-laws just saying, actually, no, I'm not going to be held back anymore. I'm going to be radical and ruthless with my future. I'm going after what God's got for me. In the very middle of that story, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, we find a table. A table with bread and wine. And I want to take us to that place right now. We want to read it. It's on the screen behind me. Ruth chapter 2. Verse 13 and 14. Says this. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. I think I'm reading a different translation than you. Verse 14 says, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her a roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. I love this. I believe in this book of Ruth. There's four chapters, but I believe that and you can argue many different ways. But personal conviction is that I believe that moment, verse 13 and 14, is the hinge point in the whole book. It might seem like just, just a little bit of a meal, maybe just you know, giving her a little bit of food and there's some more exciting things to come where there's uh, redemptive conversations and legal conversations and, and then romantic conversations. But I want to tell you, I believe that the hinge point of this book happens around a table. And I want to suggest to you and I today that in the middle of your chaos, in the middle of our pain, our fear, our tragedy, our bitterness, our bankruptcy, our addiction... Jesus Christ today invites us to a table. He invites us to a table, and He comes and lays a table right in the middle of the chaos. And I want to say it to you today, when things are about to go down, there's an invitation for you and I to sit down. Because our fight is with a different posture. And I want to help us understand that today. So I want to tell you two things about this table. Yes, two things, why this table is so powerful. Number one, this table is an invitation to intimacy. Ruth and Boaz, a story where a poor, widowed, Moabites woman with no children, no status, someone who's supposed to be, by her, her history, far removed from the promises and providence of God, she, her story collides with a man named Boaz, and Boaz does something extraordinary, not only extends her social welfare, social justice, kindness by giving her food and, and a place to sleep, he does something remarkable in this verse 13 and 14. He invites her to come sit at his table. A woman, an outsider that should not have any place at that table, he invites her in and says, sit at my table and dip your bread into my wine. I want you to have what I've got. It's this invitation to intimacy. It's radical. It wasn't the norm. It wasn't expected. 
a few a couple weeks ago, uh, we were treated Fiona by by our incredible our incredible mother-in-law uh, to a dinner, and this was this was huge for us because you know she not only paid for the dinner, she even said I'll babysit the children. Come on, that's a miracle right there. I'm like, I'll, Father, we receive that miracle, receive it right now. And uh, but we went out for dinner, and I remember we we haven't been out for dinner for a while, so we were like, oh, this is quite this is quite exciting. You know, we walked in and this restaurant was pumping. There's lots of people everywhere, and, and I am ADHD at the best of times. But this is like me coming, I'm like coming out of hiding, out of hibernation. I'm just seeing people left and right. I'm seeing people I know. I'm like, hey, hey that's the people I know. We know that guy. Ah. And, uh, and I'm looking, and the decor is incredible. It's, just, it's a, a restaurant that I hadn't been before. It's looking really suave and cool, and the atmosphere is pumping. I'm like, this is what a Friday night feels like. <laughs> ah, this is cool. And I'm looking everywhere, and they lead us all the way through all the tables. I'm like, whoa, all the way right into the middle of this, this, whole, this whole restaurant. And they seat us at this table. There's this moment, it's almost like this moment, Fiona had to almost say to me, Gap, yeah, 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 it's me. I'm like, huh, what? What's going on? There's, there's so much going on here, so much activities. And she's like, no, no, phone away, eyes off everyone else. It's me, me and you. And it was this moment of this intimacy that we was invited on, in this moment of eyes on eyes, everything else becoming a blur, me and you, no one else mattered in that moment. In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the story, I was invited to sit down with a table with my lover, with my wife, with the woman that I adore, and I had to lock eyes on her and engage with that intimate moment. But there's this understanding that actually that, that, that moment pales into insignificance when in light of what Jesus invites us to. What Jesus invites us to, can I tell you, in the midst of your whirlwind lives, and maybe you say, I'm not prepared, I'm not dressed, I'm not ready, I, I, I'm far from him, I, there's chaos, once I get the chaos sword, no, no, he said, no, in the middle of your chaos, in the middle of your, your deep trying to deal with your sin, in the meal, middle of your parenting nightmare, in the middle of your brokenness, your, your, the money not adding up, in the middle of your emotions being so frayed, in the middle of the sleepless nights, he says, I want to invite you to the table, so much so, in Isaiah 55, he says, is anyone thirsty? Come and eat. He comes, he sets up a table. And I wish I had had time to come and lay a table right here and make it really awkward for some of you. Come maybe sit on your lap with a meal. That would have been really awkward. And very, would have come. But that's what Jesus does. He wades through everyone else. He lays a table. Sits down and says, come, sit and eat. This is the incredible invitation of this table. He says, feast on my food. And there's a quote I love to share with you. It will be on the screen. Abraham Caper said this. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. I love that. Because I, 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 when I read that, I've seen that, I've heard that word, mine, a lot recently. I've got a two-year-old. And Benji, when he sees anything that he likes, or even that he thinks he might like, Something that his sister has, a thumb, I want that thing. Benji says, says the word mine. And it's just grabbing, just grabbing. And he says mine. And, I, and as I read that quote, I realize that Benji is not a lot like our father. <laughs> Benji, in that illustration, is a lot like what religion does. Religion comes and sees our strength and says, I want that, but I don't want anything else of your weaknesses. I want to take that thing that, I, that, that looks good, but actually all the stuff that doesn't look good, the stuff that doesn't fit into my paradigm, I don't want it. Let me tell you what Boaz does. When Boaz, in a sense, sat at the table by her and him inviting him to that table, and as Scott started to unfold about redemption last week, Boaz was shouting over, declaring over Ruth's life, her brokenness and all the stuff that went before. He says, mine. 
in not some male, patriarchal, possessive way, but in the redemptive illustration of who Jesus was, he says, mine. I'll have all of that shame. I'll have all of that deficiency. I'll have all of that debt. I'll have all of that disasters. I'll have all of those dead ends. I want it all mine. And let me tell you, as I said, it's just a pale reality to Jesus. Jesus says the same thing to you and I today. And maybe this is for some of us here. Jesus walks into the story. He looks at your life and he sees your sin. And he says, mine. You go, no, no, no. This is, you don't know what I've done. He goes, no, mine. He sees your shame. He sees your stress. He sees your struggles. He sees your shadows that no one knows about. He sees your situations. And he says, mine. Mine. I want all of that. Bring it to me. Come sit at the table. Bring all of that with you. Mine. This is what redemption is. The redemption by our Jesus is this fact that if you've ever sat there, uh, let's play on the restaurant analogy, and people, you said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for everyone. And then the bill comes and you go, I don't know how we'll pay for everyone. And I've had a couple of those moments where my generosity overextended my wallet. And I remember looking at that moment, but, but imagine for, this, for the sake of analogy, imagine that fear when you look at a bill or, or, or something that's come in the mail, you're going, I don't know how I'm going to pay for that. And you feel the, the people going, hey, are you all right? What's going on? You're looking at all the cards. You're trying to work out which one will pay for that. And into that restaurant comes a man named Jesus who says, hey, that bill, mine. That's what Jesus does. That's what he does right now in this moment. He walks in, and I really felt for people with your shadows that you've been holding on to, the things that you say no one else should ever know about. He says, I know it, and I want it, mine. This is the invitation to intimacy that he gives us at the table. He walks into the center of our chaos today, sets up a table and says, let's eat. All of it, Jesus is mine. The table's an invitation to intimacy. Secondly, and finally, the table's a declaration of victory. This table in verse 13 and 14, you see Boaz and, and Ruth again. Boaz in one moment by the table by saying, come, come, eat with me here. And this redemptive work that's starting to take place in, in front of our eyes in this narrative story. Boaz is saying, everything of your past, mine. But let me tell you, he doesn't stop there. He says, everything of my future, yours. Everything of my strength, yours. And let me tell you, too many Christians stop short at point one and never encounter the victory of point two. That actually we have said, you're cool, you can have my sin, Jesus, you can have my brokenness, yeah, because I'm just a broken human being. He says, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Now I want to give you something. I want you to walk in my nature, my character, my strength, my victory, yours. Everything I have is yours. And that's the power of the great exchange is that Jesus walks into the story today. And let me tell you, he looks at all his resources. He looks at all his providence, all his strength. And Jesus shouts over your life, maybe into your, where you go, I don't have enough. And he goes, yours. I don't have self-control. He goes, yours, have mine. Have mine. I don't, I don't have control and peace of my mind. Have the mind of Christ. Yours. Yours. I don't have self-control. My, yours. I don't have ability. Yours, yours. This is what he declares. The great exchange on the cross was him becoming sin on our behalf and us becoming his righteousness. Becoming. This is the essence of the gospel. and so powerful. And I say it again. People don't walk in power because they haven't picked up the victory that's theirs. And I'll say it's going down. This is going down today when we understand what's going on in our, in our behalf here. That some too many of us are battling that sin, battling that pain, battling that bitterness, battling that shame. In the ring, shame is left, right hook, left, right hook. And we punch drunk against the ropes. Go, I'm saved, amazing grace that saved this race like me. Boom, another hit of bitterness. 
When he says, no, yeah, I've taken mine, but I've given you yours. Come out fighting. Not in your own strength, not in suck it up, but actually realize that I have given you something. A transaction has taken place. You're not just a, a punch weapon for the enemy. Just, you know, that's who I am. Once an addict, always an addict. Oh, here we are. Or, you know, one failed marriage after another. Or one broken relation with another. That's who I am. You know, my fa- anger issues. That's you know, just really, it's no. No. This is huge because actually when we understand this, we've been understanding this. The reality is, number one, we've been given the power of victory. We've been given the power of victory. You see, Ruth leaves that table, and as I said, the romantic story kicks in as, 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 as they start this, this dance, this, this amazing age-old story of boy meets girl and fall in love. She falls pregnant, and she then carries his life. She carries the woman who is a Moabitess, who should be excluded from any financial, emotional, spiritual uh, joy into her future. But from that moment, she leaves carrying the seed of life. She leaves carrying the seed inside of her. And what's more, if we understand it correctly, she leaves carrying the seed that will lead to Jesus. She, in that moment, Ruth, becomes grafted in and becomes an answer to Genesis chapter 3. She is part of that lineage of women who will carry the seed that will eventually crush the head of Satan. Not some weak, obitess woman on the side. No, I'm someone who's carrying the life of God. I'm carrying the power of God. This is huge in this moment. And not only that, we've been given the power of his victory, we've also been given the responsibility of his victory. This is not an optional extra. I don't know about you, but being pregnant, again, not something I haven't done myself. But pregnancy, yes, carrying the power, the potential, but it's hard work. Nine months of, of, of pain, of discomfort, of of. of Swollen ankles. I'm not testifying here. Just, uh, just, uh, you know. But it's by by observation, it's no walk in the park. But too many of the church are saying, yeah, "I want a power encounter, but I don't want to have to carry his life." Uh, you know, I, I, I want to do it on my own terms. No, no, no. It's a different conversation here. But I want to tell you that God has said that this table is a declaration of victory. It's powerful. It's when He demands a responsibility on our behalf. But I, I had a conversation a while ago where I think so. Uh, this whole sermon was exemplified where I'm having a conversation with somebody and they, I'm saying to him, hey, what, what job do you do? You know, those conversations. And the guy started to tell me that he was an MMA fighter. And I was like, yo, 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 yo. That's a cool job. I'm like, have you killed anyone? <laughs> tell me. Just, I'm just asking. Asking for a friend. Like, or oh, could you kill me right now? You could. I know you could. Wow, this guy's cool. And this conversation would go, and until I, I was almost dreaded the time, we'll go, and what do you do? I'm like, ah, oh, MMA fighter sounds cool. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just a pastor. I'm just a pastor. <laughs> and I felt so anemic and so weak, and I'm just a pastor. When I realized, no, 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 something was wrong there. And, and this was exemplified in a different response, a different moment when it came to reality. I went and I, I this is story time, uh, I was invited to do an, uh, be a part of an advert. They were low on supply of redheads. And, um, and I pitched up at the, at the moment where I was meeting some of the other, the cast for the time. And there was a whole bunch of redheads. Factor 50 was on so huge supply. It was incredible. But I met this one girl, and that was the question. I led with the question. So what do you do? And she said, look to me, and this is, she's in her mid-30s, and, and she said to me, I'm a witch. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Didn't know that was a high-paying job. Cool. 
and as conversation, I realized this was not a joke. This was not a, a sideline conversation. This was a real conversation. This is what she did with her life. She, she, she made a living out of this and, and, and peddling witchcraft into people's lives. And I was like, okay, tell me what you do. And she told, talk, 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 talk. And I'm sitting there going, okay, things just got real. And then I said, she said, and what do you do? And I smiled. I said, you're going to love this. I'm a pastor. And suddenly I started to click in my head that actually God is, he's rewiring something that actually I'm not somebody on the corner. I'm just a pastor. I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a, a, a wife at home trying to hold the family together. I'm just somebody trying to hold my, my addiction space together. I'm just somebody holding my emotions together. No, 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 no. You're not just. That actually in that moment as I met that girl, I said, I said I'm a, actually I'm a pastor. I didn't say it to her this way, but I, in my heart I realized I'm a pastor that's coming and sitting up a table here in the midst of witches, in the midst of brokenness and addiction and saying, come and eat, come and eat. And I'm holding out the bread and the wine and saying, this is the invitation. This is the most powerful invitation you'll ever see. This is what it looks like to fight. It's not to come out fighting. It's actually come sit at the table and eat of his intimacy, eat of his victory. This is what the glory of God looks like when the church come alive. I say it again, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. Yeah. And let me say this, that's where I really believe things are going to get really good. It's about to go down. I'm not even joking, it's about to go down. Because the table in that scripture, I believe, is a hinge point throughout scripture. Yeah. Let me tell you about Exodus 12. The people of God have been in prison for 430 years in Egypt. Slaves, playthings for Pharaoh. People who to do his bidding, build this, do this, I'll break your backs, I'll pay you nothing. You'll live in squalor. That's it. We're the people of God. Oh, what do you guys do? Oh, we're the people of God. Yeah, whatever. In your corner. 430 years. Then God starts to show his might. Ten plagues. And I can imagine the people of God going, it's going down. Something bigger is happening. Something, there's a shift in the atmosphere. And then God says, actually guys, I'm going to show you my extraordinary might. Pharaoh will know and he will let you go. Tonight, something's going down. But he says, before you do that, Exodus chapter 12, I'll read it to you. It says this. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Basically, that's the start of the Passover meal that Jewish people eat to this day. Bitter herbs and meat and, and unleavened bread. They eat to remember their freedom from slavery. God says, before I'm going to break out and do mighty works and, and, and set you free, sit down and eat. Yeah. Yeah. Sit down and eat. And that's what Jews do to this day, to remember that they eat a meal. Yeah. Right, let's move on. Psalm 23. A psalm that we all know, it's just a beautiful poetic psalm, but actually if you understand it in the middle of it, in the midst of it, it's, uh, it's not this light and fluffy psalm. It's about, a, about uh, somebody, a shepherd, walking somebody through the valley of the shadow of death. Death, brokenness, chaos, destruction, walking him through that. And in the middle, in verse 5, it says this, they says that, that there's a, my enemies surround me. The enemies are surrounding me, like in my head, hyenas, jackals coming and, and nipping at my heels and surrounding me, my thoughts, my brokenness, my doubts, my fears, my, my inadequacies. I failed. I'm not good enough. I can't provide. And, and, and he says, in the midst of your enemies, I prepare a table for you. He says, I prepare a table for you. In the very middle of all that, he says, I prepare a table for you. And then it goes on and says, and the very next thing on the back of that, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Luke chapter 22. It's the night before Jesus goes to the cross. The background is that Judas is plotting. Pharisees are scheming. Demons are rejoicing. 
and we get to Luke chapter 22, where it says in verse 14, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Take this and share it among yourselves. For I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let me tell you, he does this the night before he goes to the cross. He breaks bread with them. He breaks bread. He has a meal with them. Let's not get beyond our symbolism. No, no. They have no clue what this means up to this moment. He says, come, eat and drink with me. Invites them into an intimate space and says, actually, something's about to break out. The next day he goes to the cross, and what we know on the cross what happens was he made a public spectacle of the powers of darkness. He ascended that hill once and for all and silenced that barking dog named Satan, and as he, as he plunged the cross into that hill called Golgotha, making a death to our sin and shame. This is the story of the gospel, and then one more, Revelations 19. The culmination of this whole story it says this, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the white fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added these true words that come from God. You see, if you read Revelation 19, 18, chapter 20, if you read around it, this scene happens in the middle of a great battle. In the middle of a great battle of the end of the cosmic battle of the ages, the dragon and the enemy and 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 and, the, and, and God in this incredible moment to the people of God, and he says, Praise God, come and eat the wedding supper of the Lamb, come and feast with me, eat with me. And what happens next? The very next line in verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. His name was faithful and true, and he came to judge, and out of his mouth was the word of God to wage war against the enemy, the people of God. You see, as we understand Exodus 12, understand Psalm 23, as we understand Luke 22, Revelation 19, if you understand all these texts, is that this, when we feast, God is about to flex. Every time God breaks through and defeats his enemies, it's preceded by a meal. Not by a God doing precepts. Not by a God doing, I need to dig deep. A God saying, come and eat with me. Come and eat. Come and share in the spoils. Even before I've done, even before you've seen the breakthrough, come and seek the victory that you've won. This invitation we give, and I want to tell you today, when we take communion, every time we take communion, every time we come, and it might seem small, it might seem trial, a, trial, a small thing, I want to tell you right now, every time we take communion, we are saying, it's about to go down. I want to shift your eyes on how you see communion. Not in some, I think we've so lessened it. It's just symbolic. Let me tell you, yes, it's symbolic of what he does, but it's the real thing of his victory. Yeah. It's the real implications of his victory on your behalf. So much so, let me tell you this thing, is that actually I really believe in the middle of our battle, there is a table. And right now, maybe you're fighting a battle that nobody knows. Let me tell you today, as we pick up the, the bread and the wine, Jesus walks in and says, mine, and he says, yours. Mine, let me take all that battle, and yours, you take the victory. This is what he says. I'll make this real very quickly as Jason starts to play. It'll help us. Is that I mentioned Benji earlier. We're going through stuff, and it'll be real. That actually we hit the terrible twos. And we're like, what is going on? 
I was like, I haven't seen the demonic until now. Keep the witch stories. This is demonic. But it's the reality where suddenly it was out of, our, we, out of our scope and tantrums and this. And we're like, yes, this is in for a long ride here. This is hectic. And we thought, okay, read all the blogs. Let's check out all this thing. Phone all the friends. 50-50, ask the audience. Well, it was just help us out. Somebody give us some way forward here. And all those things are good, well and good. But they came about with Fiona and said, you know, why don't we have communion? Why don't we pray? Why don't we have communion? Not This is not just some idea. Yeah, that's a cool religious thing. No, we actually trust that actually this is a battle. God, we need your intervention. We need you to bring breakthrough. We're going to trust you, take you at your word. And God starts to break through. Let me tell you, we're in a family crisis at the moment. And, and there's different things at play and different emotions. But I want to tell you, in the middle of our disappointment and confusion, I sat with my family on Monday night in Pretoria and we had communion. And God, we come in, but as we feast, you're going to flex. It's out of our hands. We don't know how to win this battle. We don't know how to fight it, but it's going down. Because let me tell you, when we say it's going down, I want to tell you the enemy goes down when it goes down. When this thing goes beyond our headspace, when actually we ingest this life and say, God, this is more. I'm going to carry your victory. I'm going to consume your victory. Jeremiah said this way, eat the scroll, eat of the word of God. Let me tell you, it's too long the church have listened to good sermons, good podcasts, said that's great. And not said actually, no, I'm going to take it in. This is mine. I'm going to live it and believe it and see it. It's time for the church to come up fighting. It's going down. So let me tell you today, personal victory, I believe God is saying it's on the table. Personal victory is on the table. Will you sit and eat? Families and friends, people who you have lost hope for, relationships that have been broken and destroyed, I want to tell you that relationship's on the table. That they, will you come and eat? Will you come and eat with them? And that, 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 that thing's on the table. Community at large, freedom, hope, joy, purpose, it's on the table. Come and eat. And I'm going to pray for us in this moment, but before I do that, I want to charge us for the week ahead. I really believe God is saying to us, will we be a people who come out fighting? It's going down. I'm going to ask you this week, every night, to have communion at home. If you're on your own, have it on your own. If you've got a family, bring your family there. You don't need qualifications to it. You don't need to be a priest to it. The Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests. You just need, you don't even need wine and bread. You just, I just say get whatever it is that actually, God, I'm going to come and I'm going to eat a, a piece of bread and a piece of, and drink some juice and say, God, this is your body and blood. I'm sitting and I'm coming and I'm knowing that you're going to flex. Are you going to do that every night this week? Can you do that as a family for yourself, for our community, for this nation? God needs the people of God to come up fighting. In home groups, in life groups, we're going to have communion this week. Because we're coming up fighting. The table's been set and the invitations have gone out. We have to pick it up. Can we stand to our feet today?